Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Our Bible is Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at many verses this morning, and we're going to be kind of bouncing around looking at what the Scriptures teach on a particular topic. But I want you to focus on Romans 8. If you have verses 9 through 11 ready in your Bibles in just a moment, we'll get there. I want to catch you all up, especially if you're visiting this morning, uh, where we are in this series called The Presence on the, on the gift of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit means to us. Our, our premise of this whole series is that the Holy Spirit is not optional, that you can't just have you some Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. And as we uh, unpack this, uh, we're taking kind of a slower pace than maybe uh, for some uh, would, would like. And let me explain why. Uh, there are people in here who are very familiar with the theology of the Holy Spirit and experiences with the Holy Spirit, and that's fantastic. But there are a number of people who have never and been fearful of it because of back, religious backgrounds or what they've heard. And so we want to be able to process this together and realize what a blessing and gift that God has given us in His presence by allowing his presence to be a part of who we are. In week one, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is and what are the attributes or characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit equal with Jesus and the Father? Because they are one and the same, and they work for the same purposes. And having defined that, we went to week two, and we talked about what the Holy Spirit does to us. And so I've broken it down over these three weeks of looking at what the Holy Spirit does to us. Today we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in us, And next week, we'll talk about what the Holy Spirit does through us. So in the to us, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. You and I would not have the ability to know our need for Jesus, to to know of our relationship with God's brokenness if the Holy Spirit had not brought that conviction to us. We also know that we would not understand our our ability to be adopted, and as Zach just talked about with his family and how they've brought in and cared for kids and adopted, that we would even know that we were adopted into the family if the Holy Spirit hadn't brought that awareness to us. And then the Holy Spirit does something to us, a regeneration, a good theological word we don't use in everyday life. But regeneration means that power is brought to us and life is brought back to us and we are renewed through the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we've been the first two weeks. Today we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in us, God's transforming work. One of the passages of Scripture that's meant a lot to me, and I I can't really, it's not a big profound thing, it's just been one of those coaching moments from the Word of God that has motivated me. It won't appear on the screen, but it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses is talking to the people in his farewell address before he goes to be with the Lord, and Joshua takes over. And in this process, Moses says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. And that motivation of each and every day, I get to choose whether I'm going to walk for myself or walk with my father. Am I going to pursue Jesus as a disciple or am I going to pursue my own kingdom and my own interests? That God sets before us each and every day life and death, blessings and curses, And what I love about God's heart for us is instead of condemning us and saying, just go do whatever you're going to do, God doesn't condemn us, he convicts us. And through his Holy Spirit, he invites us to choose life. And this is a choice we get to make. You see, I want to tell you why I believe that the purposes of the Father, Son, and Spirit are the same and why you can't live your life without one of them. You see, all of human history was restored through a relationship with God. We like to call it the Old and New Covenants. 
that both of those covenants were established by God, that he would take the onus of restoring a relationship with him. And all of human hope is rescued in a relationship with Jesus. And all of human thriving is empowered in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. All human history is restored in the covenantal relationship with God. All human hope is rescued through the work of Jesus Christ. And all human thriving can only be found in the presence of God's Holy Spirit within us, regenerating us, reviving us, and calling us. <clears throat> Having established that, I want you to see even in the Old Testament, the foreshadowing of what God was doing and would do in an even greater way through Jesus is present. Isaiah chapter 44. I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. God has always intended that his spirit be the thing that calls us, motivates us, lives within us, and guides us. So we talked last week about forgiveness, justification, and regeneration, being made new. We talked about how God takes care of our sin, our legal sin issue with him, and then restores us with a new heart and a new spirit. I will take out your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. He does that through his spirit. We talked about those things, but now what? And, and this is, and we talked about it last week, and let me just say it again for those of you that weren't here. One of my fears as a pastor is a number of people who stop at justification. My sins have been forgiven, and that's all I really wanted was I just don't want to go to hell, and there's more to life than not going to hell. There's experience in the goodness of the Father who restored you. And so after justification, the forgiveness of our sins, and after the regeneration, being made alive in the Spirit, now what? And this is what God offers in us. It's an indwelling power. It's a ministering power and a moral power. It gives us the ability to meet God's will, and it also gives us this incredible power to overcome our own sinful nature. That God doesn't just call us to be performers. He calls us to be lovers. He calls us to be children. He calls, calls us to be in a relationship with him. And if we can do anything today, what I really want to do is strip away this mindset that there is a transaction that takes place between Jesus and God that makes a transaction between you and me and him. In other words, Jesus did this, so now we get this. Now let's just not mess it up again. And that is so far, that, that's where religion enters in and Christianity dies but we are a community of relationships with God and with each other to love the Lord our God and love our, our neighbor as ourself. In all of these moments, God is putting together this, this understanding of relationship, not just transaction. And the beautiful part of the gift of the Holy Spirit is that indwelling power, that transforming presence in us will make all the difference. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27, God said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Now, I want to be careful that you don't think, you don't see a, a robotic moment here. That all of a sudden the Holy Spirit enters us and we don't, we're no longer ourselves. We just become these robots that always obey. That's not the picture of it. Last night, uh, the team that I kind of like in college football was having a bad night, so I turned it off. Uh, pray, pray for me. It's a hard day. And... Uh, I saw something that made me feel bad and old. 35 years ago, the Terminator came out. 35 years ago. I'm a, I'm a Methuselah here. Anyway, so I was pondering that. And I think how many people wonder if the Holy Spirit enters us, we become God's Terminator, right? We're just going to go around doing all God's business and no, long, no, 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 no. You see, the good news of the Holy Spirit is 
God created you because he loved you, not because he couldn't stand you and had to replace you, right? And so when the Spirit enters us, it's this beautiful thing that God is going to teach us how to walk with him. In fact, Paul has a great expression. He uses it repeatedly. I'm going to give you two tastes of it. And his, his expression for what it means to have the Holy Spirit is that he is uh, in you. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? That God has entered into us, this with us. He's not abandoned us. He, he's not going to do all the work. He's going to work in us and for us. Romans 8, the passage I had you open. Look at it with me, if you would. Beginning in verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Has Paul made his point? That the Holy Spirit is not just something around us. The Holy Spirit is something in us. And that's the gift. That's the beautiful part of this gift that I think so many of us leave unenacted. We don't own that moment. We don't want that moment. We don't desire that. And so there's this presence available to us, but we want it at a distance to beckon in, to come in and out as we need, rather than what Paul says, when the Spirit of Christ is in you, the same Spirit that led Jesus through his earthly ministry, the same Spirit that led him into the wilderness and called him into all these awesome moments, that same Spirit can abide in every one of us. It's not just what the Holy Spirit does to us, but what he does in us. This transforming power, it cleanses and it consecrates. This, this presence in us allows no longer for the things of the flesh, the sinful things of life, to, to no longer be attached to us. That it does a cleansing in us so that it can set us apart for good things. Now, I, I know I, I often have to answer this question. If you don't know me, my name is Mark Christian. I did not change my last name, I promise. That would be rather arrogant. I can be, but I wasn't there. This is the name I was given. And the reason it had an issue for me is because when I would leave the house, my mom or dad had this statement to all four of us boys, whether we're going on a date or going out with our friends or whatever we were doing without them, my dad would say, you have a good name, I hope you keep it. And when your last name's Christian, you don't know what the heck he means, right? <laughs> but anyway, it fit. What he challenged us to do was, hey, decide who you're going to be and then be it. Don't let anybody else change that. Decide what kind of person you're going to be. And what I think is beautiful about the work of the Holy Spirit in us, not only did he cleanse us from the sinful nature, but he begins to consecrate us to live out our calling. That the desire to represent Jesus well in the world in which we live doesn't always come from within us. It comes from the Spirit within us. And that's why being open to the Spirit is a beautiful gift that God intends for us. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul lists a bunch of sins that are not becoming of people who believe in the goodness of God. Not because they're scared of hell, but these are not behaviors that good people do. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, such were some of you, but you have been sanctified by the Spirit of our God. There's an initial sanctification. There is a moment that we go from being unsaved to saved, our terminology, or from being separate from God to be reunited with God. There's that initial moment of, of being cleansed and consecrated. And then there's a progressive consecration that takes place. In other words, I got good news for your church. If you turn me off, come back to me. Let me tell you this. 
God does not expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be holy. Is that good news? Because perfection you'll never accomplish. I was taught at a young age, I still believe it. My most holy day will be the day I die. Then God will have completed his work in me. But during that process, God does not expect perfection. He expects relationship. He expects me to respond to him. He expects me to listen and be guided and be aware. And he's given me his Holy Spirit to bring that about. Not my perfection, but holiness. So that I can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, not having completed it. You're never going to hit that spot where you've got it all figured out. And Satan uses that against some of us because we have this negative thoughts in our minds that says regularly, well, I can't keep up with these people. I'm not good at being good. No, you're not. Welcome to the club. But the Holy Spirit calls us every single day. Remember when you had toddlers in your home and they took two or three steps consecutively and didn't wipe out an end table or fall over? What did you do? You celebrated like it was the greatest moment in history. If you're still celebrating that when they're 16, what are you doing? If your 16-year-old gets up off the couch and makes three steps, you're like, yeah, no. No, as you grow, your life becomes stronger and more focused and you have more expectation. And what God does through his Holy Spirit is he doesn't condemn us. He convicts us that there's more to life than what we've chosen to live, right? And that's a gift. It's a beautiful gift. First Peter 1, Peter tells that early church that was struggling they were being persecuted and challenged every day of their lives. He said, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God is doing a work in us to call us to a holiness that we're not used to, but he is able to bring it about in us. And it's, it will make you weird in culture. It will make you weird within your own history but it's cleansing and consecrating and it's beautiful. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. I want you to notice something here. Make every effort to live at peace and make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It does matter how we live. And how we live doesn't matter so that we are saved. That's already done. How we live matters because it's a testimony to the world. It honors God. It restores our soul. It takes that heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh that can beat again and have compassion and empathy for a lost and dying world. You see, the work that we put in is not so God owes us something. The work we put in is so that we can become the kind of children that love God fully and love others well. And I also want you to notice I've been very strategic this morning. Every scripture that I've used is written to believers, not to unbelievers. That God wants to do a work in the saved people, not just save them. He wants to do a work that restores the full creation, the full beauty of his kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace sanctify you entirely. It's a process. Yes, you have been redeemed. Yes, you have been justified. Yes, you are regenerated in the spirit, but there is life to be lived and that life is with God and that life is a call to holiness, not perfection. So the question you have to be asking yourself is how does the Holy Spirit sanctify us? We know that he brought conviction to us so that we knew we needed Jesus. The, the, he brought conviction through the scriptures. We heard the gospel presented. We realized that that's me. I have rebelled against God. I'm I don't have peace in my heart. I do fear judgment. All of these things the Holy Spirit, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring, would bring conviction of righteousness and judgment. And we sensed that and we responded to it. But how does the Holy Spirit 
enter us and abide in us? And how does he sanctify us? What are some of the things God's using to awaken a desire in you to pursue holiness rather than your own personal interest? Well, let's, let's look at the sequence well. What Jesus made possible through his death, burial, and resurrection, the regeneration. What Jesus made possible through the death, burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit makes actual through sanctification. It's no longer a fact. It becomes our reality. It becomes our experience. It becomes who we are. That the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is not just a historical fact. It's actually our historical truth. That Jesus died for me. That he was crucified for my sins. Not just sin, my sin. And that he brought me to life out of my tomb to walk in newness of life. That's why we believe that the Holy Spirit enters you. Acts 2.38, when they cried out on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was available to the people, and they said, what must we do to receive the salvation that only Jesus can give? Peter said, repent and be baptized, each one of you, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift, the gift, the gift. What a gift. And so we believe that going into the water, the burial, coming out, being cleansed by the blood and walking in newness of life is symbolic of what Jesus offered us and the Holy Spirit makes actual in us. You see, this gift is not an option. It's a beautiful presence. So how does he do this? A sanctifying presence. See, when Jesus told his disciples, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he then left, right? He took off right after he said he wouldn't, he left. But he told them, no, my spirit will be with you. It will always abide in you. In John 14, 17, Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice what he's saying here. Before the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and dwelt in the believers, Jesus said, he's with you. You know he's with you. You've seen the work of the Spirit around you. He dwells with you, but then he will be in you. A much greater life than being guided from a distance. We're now guided from within. And the Spirit of God speaks, and he's present, and he reminds us, and he affirms us, and he encourages us. It's good news. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a second act of anything. The Holy Spirit is the first act. What Jesus did, the Holy Spirit was involved in. You can't separate the two. And if you're taught that you need to be saved by Jesus, then a second act of the Spirit to validate that, you've misunderstood, I think. What the Scripture teaches is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were working together in unison. And that that Spirit now is available to work in unison in all of us who believe and profess by faith in Jesus. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice the power of the Spirit brings joy in the midst of all circumstances. God is doing a work in us. And as Paul would say in other passages of Scripture, God will complete the work he began in you. And that is through his Holy Spirit and the presence and the power and the dynamics of God working. His presence Second of all, his sanctifying knowledge. This shouldn't surprise you if you attend church here at all, very often. We believe the Word of God matters. And we don't believe that you study the Word of God for just information. We believe that the Word of God brings transformation. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 
so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to notice here that when Paul said this about the scriptures, he did not tell us that these scriptures are useful to take those people and turn them into us. He actually says that the work that the scriptures do are within the man of God. That there is a time for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So what does this mean? Well, if you want to know what holiness is, the word of God will tell you. What behaviors produce holiness? What attitudes produce holiness? How we live in a way that is cleansed and set apart for the works of God. And we need to open ourselves up to that. If you want to know what sin is, ask the scriptures. If you want to know what holiness is, ask the scriptures. And now this is where it's going to sound like, here he goes. Well, let's, be, let's have a conversation this morning. You can listen to what culture says is right and good, or you can listen to what the scriptures say is right and good. And I want to ask you a question, looking at the two sources, which actually knows what they're talking about? Culture is telling you so many things are okay now. This, the Bible just, it wasn't aware for our day. And I'm here to tell you that I think God has never changed and God is always right. And even when the world disagrees and even when I'm not sure I agree, I trust by faith that God is right. And the scriptures are what lead us to holiness, to understand God's heart about who we are, about our fellow man, about all of culture, what is good and what bad is what is indifferent. And we need to allow the sanctifying knowledge of the word of God to be the voice of the spirit in us. Because the Spirit will not contradict the Word of God, and the Word of God will never contradict the Spirit. And if you're hearing a message that's different from Scripture, I tell you, flee and listen to the Spirit of God speak to you truth, cleansing, sanctifying truth. So we have His sanctifying presence, His sanctifying knowledge, and we have His sanctifying power. To develop a holy character, our biggest problem is not just knowledge. I can point out to you people who know the scriptures really, really well and don't know God. There has to be a transforming power that God produces in us to allow the truth to become ours, to connect to who we are and how he's developing us. One preacher said, I hope this isn't too snarky, but I liked it. Probably if I liked it, it meant it's too snarky. But here's what he said. Our knowledge of what is right usually exceeds our doing of what is right. See, I don't think in a church like this, that that many people don't know what God wants. And you agree that God should get this. But we don't always live it out. We don't always enact it in our everyday lives. And this is where the Spirit is given to us to bring conviction, not condemnation, but conviction that we might step out in faith and be sanctified by the truth by actually experiencing and living it. Now, this could be my last Sunday here, and if it is, it was very good to know you all. But I don't necessarily represent our elders when I say this. I don't think they would disagree, but I haven't asked them. But I'll tell you, the church is a dangerous place for one reason. Because you can acquire year after year after year a bunch of knowledge and no faith. You're like a cup that gets filled and filled and it pours all over and all you have at the end of the day is a mess. You see, there is something about wringing out the sponge that makes the saturation of the sponge effective. And God is working in his spirit to wring out of us actions that produce holiness in us and praise God, holiness in others. This is not our sole journey to get to heaven untouched. This is our journey to invite everyone into God's kingdom right now. 
And that presence and that power and that knowledge of who God is is all we need to do all that God's asked. And he sent the Spirit for this, to empower and strengthen our wills. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I want to point this out. I don't want to beat this horse to death, but I want to ride it for a good period of time. So here we go. I want you to notice the interactive nature of what Paul says here. That if by the Spirit we are able to put to death the misdeeds of the body, we still have the action. The Spirit will give us the power to put to death. But we have to put it to death. We're not robots. We're not going to be turned into terminators that just do whatever God says without our will because God has given us free will. He's given us the ability to love and obey, and he's called us to that, and by relationship in him, we respond to it. But you and I have to put to death the deeds of the flesh, and the Spirit will give us the power. Isn't that a good gift? Because if you're anything like me, you've lived seasons of your life, years in fact, trying to become a better person without any real power because willpower doesn't work. The Spirit's power does. We eradicate sinful actions by the power of the Spirit and our willingness to obey. Hebrews 12, 13, for it is God who is at work in you, I want you to pay attention again, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The want to and the how to. The Holy Spirit is what empowers you and I to want to overcome sin, to convict us that this is not healthy, this is not good, this is not feed my soul. And then, not only the want to, but the how to. How to surrender, how to, how to obey, how to trust, how to walk in faith. Ephesians 3.16, Paul prayed this prayer, and it's a prayer we have for this church, that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. His presence, the knowledge of his will, and his power. God has called us to be holy as he is holy, to work out our own salvation, to, to work, to effort, for the purposes of obeying, hearing, and obeying, trusting, and living, guiding, and sacrificing, and to pursue sanctification, to remain set apart for a holy purpose, not just an everyday common purpose. And yet, what's beautiful about God's plan is, we'll talk about it next week, you can find the holy in the everyday. You can find the holy in the mundane. You can find the holy on the mountaintop, and you can find it in the valley. If you listen to the presence of God guide you into moments where his glory can be shared, and his goodness, when shared, is good for everybody. So, how do we appropriate the Spirit's power? I want to give you six things this morning. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been cleansed of your sin, filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've done that. But I need to talk to those of you in this room, and, and please know you're safe. For those in this room today who have never made the decision to become a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you, I believe Acts 2.38 gives you the protocol. Do you believe in Jesus as Lord? Do you believe that you're a sinner who needs to be cleansed of your sin? Not general sin, your sins. And are you willing to follow him and receive from him new life? By, by dying to self and living for Christ. And if you do, we would love. Around this room, you see the four lamps that are lit in the corners of the room, if these are corners, but you can see these tables. And we'd encourage you, following the service, or even during our next few moments of musical worship, if you want to go to those tables and have a conversation with some of our folks, we'd love to share with you, not force you, but share with you what the Bible teaches you need to do to respond to Jesus' offer to you. 
We don't, we don't choose Jesus. He chooses us. And if, if and when you make that decision, these six things work. And for those of us who are believers, who want to be awakened, maybe you're flatlined right now. Maybe you don't feel passion. Maybe your want to isn't there. Remember, it is the Holy Spirit that brings the want to and the how to into our lives. Six things quickly. The knowledge of God and his will. You need to know the word of God to know the will of God. You need to read the the word of God and listen to the Spirit's voice. You need to trust that God knows what he's talking about in a world that says he doesn't. You have to step out in faith on that. If you want to know what holiness is, ask God. If you want to know what sin is, ask God. Second thing, you need to pray. Now, I know this confuses some people. I don't know that you pray to the Holy Spirit. I believe we pray to the Father, through the Son, through the power of the Spirit. So however you want to term it, you need, and I need, to begin every day asking that the presence of the Holy Spirit guide me, which means I surrender the steering wheel. That each and every day, I pray that the Spirit would speak and I could hear. Third, surrender. This is where it gets tricky, and this is where I might be a little too much mark for y'all. But when God tells you to do something, do it. God tells you to stop doing something, stop it. When God tells you you can trust him, trust him. And when God says that that's a lie, then treat it like a lie. You see, surrendering is saying that, God, I want to follow you and you get to lead and I'm going to learn to trust you in each of those processes. And then fourth, trust. It says in Acts 26 that we are sanctified by faith. That part of the indwelling power of the Spirit that grows in us is not our ability to show off and do tricks. It's actually to trust more. If you want to know if you're spirit-filled, it's not because you perform tasks. It's because you trust more and you're more faithful and trusting and growing. So we take the knowledge of the word, we pray, we surrender, we trust, we act, we act. Start obeying. Start stepping out, out of the boat and start walking on water and watch what God does. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Effort. Action, activity, purpose. Instead of simply saying, my Christianity, listen to me, church, our Christianity cannot be defined by how little we sin. Our Christianity must be defined by how much we walk by faith. Because not sinning is not the end game. It's actually walking in a holiness and a purity that brings honor to God. And that blesses others every single time. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. The last thing is thanksgiving. What does that mean? That means to begin to understand what a privilege it is to receive the Spirit of God in us. Because the Spirit of God brings life, not death. Brings conviction, not condemnation. The Spirit brings hope, not hell. And to walk by faith is to trust that the presence that led Jesus through his earthly ministry is the same presence that can guide you through ours. And so the call today is do you want to be filled with the Spirit of Christ? Have him live in you for the purposes of reshaping you for the glory of God for eternity? I hope the answer is yes, because that's why we exist as a community, to strengthen one another, to walk by faith and find our completeness in Jesus Christ. This morning, I'd like to pray the prayer that's found at the end of the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter, chapter 13. Paul prays this prayer in his conclusion. It's a prayer that's been ours over this church for the past month. This is what we receive as we walk in faith.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and may the love of God the Father and may a fellowship with the Holy Spirit be on all of us. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.